The Christmas story is a grand epic, chock full of drama and suspense and majestic moments. God tinkered in time and an avalanche of miracles followed. The young couple, Joseph and Mary, were visited by divine emissaries with mysterious messages. Shepherds were shocked when the sky opened onto the angelic stage and the heavenly hosts played a private performance heralding the Messiah's arrival. In a faraway land, Oriental wise men noticed a celestial signal shining in the darkness of the night sky, and they began their trek to worship the king. And then after being warned of a hitman named Herod, Joseph smuggled the baby, the assassin's target, all the way to Egypt. He narrowly averted a disaster of colossal proportions for the entire human race. I'm just saying the nativity narrative is full of high drama. But to me there's one scene that stands out. Where the story's intensity reaches a crescendo. It's the scene shot on location in heaven itself. The high point of the story occurs on the doorstep of heaven when the father and his only son exchange their farewells. Think of it this way. A young soldier in military fatigues says goodbye to his parents. He embarks on a tour of duty, heads straight for the battlefield. This is the picture the Bible paints in Hebrews chapter 10. For Jesus is now leaving his heavenly home. He's a soldier being sent to a foreign field on a dangerous mission. Usually when we read the Christmas story, we turn to the book of Matthew, and we read of Joseph and the wise men, or we turn to Luke to recall Mary and the shepherds. We usually don't turn to the book of Hebrews, but it's here the opening act in the Christmas drama gets recorded. For in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, we find the record of an often overlooked conversation that occurred between Jesus and his father on the day he left heaven and entered our world. Just before Jesus left his eternal home for his embryonic home, he quoted Psalm 40, a prophecy of his incarnation, and we find it recorded in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. We read, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. But then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. When Jesus said his goodbyes in heaven, he had an understanding of what awaited him on earth. He knew that the wages of sin had always been death. For centuries past, Jesus had gazed down from his lofty perch in heaven, He'd watched the Jewish priests sharpen their knives and slit the throats of innocent lambs. Jesus had kept one eye on the sacrifices, 
But his other eye was on the Father. He watched the Father receive those sacrifices, sacrifice after sacrifice. And yet despite them all, the Father received no satisfaction. There was a reluctance in his acceptance. The look in his father's eye indicated that all was not quite right. You see, by the time that Jesus entered the world, God had tired of animal sacrifices. All the blood of bulls and lambs, all it could do was to cover our sin, not make us new. At best, these sacrifices gained for us a parole. It required a sinless sacrifice to grant a permanent pardon. But where would the Father go for such a perfect sacrifice? Well, that's when the Son stepped up. And He said what is recorded here in Hebrews 10, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus volunteered to be the Father's stainless, spotless, sinless sacrifice. See, God is spirit. And spirit has no blood. A spirit doesn't cut or bruise or bleed. From heaven, Jesus saw the lifeblood flow from the animal's throat. And he imagined what it would be like to bleed. A body was prepared for him. From day one, bleeding was in his future. Cold steel would open the tender skin of the manger baby. From the moment Jesus left heaven, he was headed to the cross. Philippians chapter 2 says of Jesus, Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For Jesus, the manger was just the beginning of a mission. This babe was born to die. Pastor and author John MacArthur makes the same observation He writes so eloquently, here's a side of the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those little soft hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns onto it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear, for Jesus was born to die. Revelation 13 verse 8 refers to our Lord Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, when Jesus stepped out of heaven, he was fully aware of where the road would lead. Imagine the courage it took for Jesus to take that first step. It was G.K. Chesterton who wrote, Alone of all creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. Jesus, be careful where you take that step. It's a long way down. Yet Jesus took it anyway. The son recalled the look in his father's eyes. For your sake and for God's sake, the father's only son wanted our forgiveness to be full and free. Jesus knew what had to be done. 
And Jesus had the guts to do it. It reminds me of the first grader who came home from school in tears. The little girl's teacher had asked the students to make a Christmas banner. When the girl showed the class her banner, the teacher sneered and the kids made fun. The little girl was crushed. Her mother threw her arms around her daughter and asked what it was she had written. The little girl answered, Mary had a little lamb and named him Jesus. But from that year onward, every Christmas, that mother made sure that her daughter's banner was the centerpiece of their family celebration. For indeed, Mary had a little lamb. Jesus' mission on earth was no mystery. The coming of Mary's little lamb had been foretold in scores of scriptures. Verse 7 of Hebrews 10 sums up the Old Testament. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. The father had served notice that a sinless sacrifice would inevitably be necessary. But what was clear in the scripture isn't necessarily palatable to human tastes. It seemed weird to our ears that the Savior born unto us would ultimately die for us. And likewise to Jesus' contemporaries, the cross was the piece of the puzzle that just didn't seem to fit. It didn't seem to make sense. Why would God come to die? There's an old Appalachian Christmas carol called, I Wonder As I Wander, that asks this very question. If Jesus had wanted for any old thing, a star in the sky or a bird on the wing, for all of God's angels in heaven for to sing, he surely could have had it, for he is their king. I wonder as I wander out under the sky why Jesus our Savior did come for to die, for poor ordinary people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. For surely, people wondered. They wondered, they wondered today, and they wondered in Jesus' day. Trust me, eyebrows were raised when the wise men showed up at Mary's shower with their gifts. Myrrh was an embalming fluid. Can you imagine? Who gives formaldehyde at a baby shower? What a bizarre present for a newborn. And then later, you remember when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He introduced him to his subjects, not as king, but as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John knew from the outset that before Jesus wore a crown of glory, that he would wear a crown of thorns. It's ironic that Jesus was visited by shepherds and probably born in a stable. It's likely that those shepherds brought with them to Bethlehem a few sheep of their own. There may have even been lambs occupying the stable that earlier had eaten from the manger where Mary would lay her baby. And when Mary put Jesus in that feed trough, there was now literally a lamb in the manger. Yet even today we have a hard time grasping that the baby Jesus was born as a sacrifice. In fact, sprinkled throughout our Christmas carols are reminders that the baby was born to die. Yet so often we sing the words as if we don't hear them, as if the words weren't really there. There's an old British Christmas carol, The Holly and the Ivy. 
The song illustrates the meaning of the greenery we use so often in our Christmas decorations. It reads, The holly bears a berry as red as any blood. The holly bears a prickle as sharp as any thorn. The holly bears a bark as bitter as any gall. And yet, when was the last time you looked at a sprig of evergreen at Christmas time and pondered that thought? In the more familiar song, What Child Is This? There is an ominous line. Nail, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. And of course, in the classic carol, We Three Kings, without much thought to what we're singing, we usually just plow through the lyrics. Myrrh is mine, a bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. It seems the wise men had a grasp on this more somber side of Christmas. Do you remember the challenge to Mary that came from the lips of the old man Simeon? Mary was a new mom just days after delivery. She'd come to the temple to dedicate her baby to God. When this old geezer interrupts and speaks to her troubling words, he says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, A sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a thing to say to a mom still struggling with postpartum emotions. That a sword will pierce your soul. And yet the old man's forecast was true. For flash ahead some 30 years, and there at the foot of the cross... A middle-aged Mary is watching the body of God. The body prepared by the Father for the Son. The body that incubated nine months in her own virgin womb. Mary now sees that body torn and pierced and ripped and bleeding. The final sacrifice has been laid on the altar. I have no doubt that on the cross, in that moment, again, the son looked into the father's eyes. But this time he saw no no reluctance in his acceptance. On the altar of the cross, the problem had suddenly been solved. The penalty had been paid. The demand satisfied once and for all when Jesus was sacrificed. And this time, when Jesus looked into his father's eyes, he saw only his approval. And so Jesus cried out, it is finished. And it is finished, at least from God's end of the deal. Forgiveness is no longer to be allocated in installments. No longer do sacrifices have to be repeated. Forgiveness now flows with no strings attached. It's offered full and free to you today. Jesus did all that needed to be done to ensure for you and I a permanent pardon. All that's left unfinished for us is to open up our hearts and to receive his offer by faith. Understand, it doesn't matter today that you're willing to say that Christ died for the sins of the world. Faith gets diluted. It loses its punch when it gets applied in general. 
when Jesus forgives, he doesn't look at a globe of the earth. No, Jesus looks into a set of eyes. This time, your eyes. Jesus always makes his pardon personal. You see, the world in general can't think or feel or talk or act. It doesn't recognize that its sin is an act of defiance. It doesn't see that its sin is breaking God's heart. It has no relationships. The world feels no remorse. It can't confess. It won't turn from its sin. The world spins always, but it stays on the same axis. It never really moves or seeks after God. But you, you, a person made in God's image, you can think about what you've done. You can be moved by God's Spirit. You can feel the pain that you've caused others. And you can feel the shame that you've brought upon yourself and others. You can confess your sin. And you can express your remorse. And you can call out to Jesus for Him to come to you and forgive you and change your life. You can look into God's eyes and find that acceptance. See, the baby in the manger was born to die. Yet most folks don't want to think about the cross at Christmas time. Oh, they say Christmas should be about birth and light. The cross is just an ugly, tasteless reminder of man's dark ages when men acted in barbarous ways. The cross is an offense to people like us with dignified sensibilities. Most people want Christmas to be a time for tinsel and glitter and blinking lights and evergreen trees and warm fires and eggnog and fuzzy feelings. Christmas is supposed to be about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Oh, why spike the Christmas punch with a reminder of the cross, an act of violence and anger? Don't spoil the serenity of the season with images of gore and suffering and bloodshed. See, we all want Christmas to be the one night of the year when everyone pretends that the world is okay. The problem, though, is that it's not. When my son Nick was in the third grade, his third grade class, they had a Christmas party. And evidently, a face painter was invited to the third grade celebration. For when Kathy went to pick Nick up, she noticed that the kids had little Nike swooshes on their cheeks. Some had gift-wrapped presents and jingle bells painted on their faces. On Nick's right cheek was a Christmas tree. On his left was a cross. The Christmas tree was pretty. It had been done in bright green and had gold balls. The face painter had obviously painted lots and lots of Christmas trees. But the cross on the other cheek was pale blue. It was a makeshift color, not the color you would normally choose for a cross. In addition, the lines looked rushed. The strokes were drawn uneven. It was also obvious that this painter didn't do many Christmas crosses. To her credit, she painted what my little boy requested. But it had taken a child's insight to see that a cross actually goes together with Christmas. I hope this year you'll add the cross to your Christmas. If it wasn't for the cross, there would be no reason to celebrate at Christmas time. 
or at any time for that matter, the values we celebrate today at Christmas time of love and peace, of giving and goodwill were purchased and made possible by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Whenever you turn on a Christmas light, don't forget that light shined into the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. My sin and your sin nailed Jesus to the tree. Jesus was born to die for us. And this is why the crib and the cross go together. Manger and martyrdom are the two bookends of his life. As Amy Carmichael writes, the cross always stands near the manger. Earlier I mentioned the holly. Have you heard the legend? Some some traditions say that the crown of thorns that the Roman soldiers weaved to mock the Messiah was formed from a branch lopped off of a holly bush. The cynical soldiers, they cut off a thorny limb, bent it into the shape of a crown, and then shoved it onto Jesus' forehead. Today we hang holly wreaths with red berries on the front door of our houses and on the walls of our churches. They make nice decorations, but they make even better symbols. For when you look at that holly wreath, remember the crown of thorns. Think of the red berries as stained with the drops of blood that drip from Jesus' brow. Today, how can you say no to the king whose love flows his blood down his own face? Over the years, I've taken different groups to Israel. Next year, I plan to take another And the most common question I get asked is, what's your favorite site to visit? I actually have several favorites. Of course, the garden tomb is amazing. The site where Jesus toppled death and rose from the grave. What a place to be. The top of Mount Arbel, high over the Sea of Galilee, is a breathtaking spot. You get a panoramic view of the lake and the places where Jesus worked his miracles. Hey, I have a number of favorite sites. But if I had to pick one, it would be in Jerusalem. It's an emotional, soul-stirring place called the Lithostrata, Latin for pavement. And it's here you find the stones, the stone floor of Pilate's judgment hall. You see the stones on which Jesus was beaten and scourged. His blood splattered on these stones and trickled down into the crevices between them. As you stand on these stones, it's stunning to realize that the DNA of our Lord Jesus is literally under your feet. To me, the Lithostrata is the holiest ground in the Holy Land. One year we visited Israel in December, and I was given a special Christmas present. For as we exited the Lithostrata, I saw what I had never seen before. On the way out, there it was, up against the wall, a stone manger. At the scene of the crime, at the awful, brutal place where the Roman executioners implemented implemented their halfway death and with rods and whips administered the scourging of Jesus, there was a manger. And it reminded me of Hebrews 10. A body was prepared for him. Isaiah said of Messiah, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. 
and by His stripes we are healed. Remember, spirit doesn't bleed. In history and on our calendar, Christmas occurs before Easter. But in our lives, God reverses the order. For when a heart embraces the cross and believes that Jesus died and rose and lives today to forgive my sin and enable me to change, then my heart gets transformed into a manger. The Son of God is suddenly born in me. In a spiritual sense, the Christmas miracle happens again. Not in Bethlehem, but in the heart that believes. Embrace his sacrifice for you tonight. And the Bible promises that you'll you'll find a Savior. He'll be born in your heart. Right now, I want to lead you in a prayer. For if you pledge your allegiance to the Savior, Jesus promises that you'll experience his love and forgiveness. This is your opportunity to participate in a life-changing moment. You know, it's been said, if Christ were born a thousand times in Bethlehem and not born in my heart, I would be lost forever. Don't let tonight's opportunity pass you by. Trust me, all the gift giving today will be a little hollow, not nearly as meaningful if you walk away without receiving the greatest gift of all. Would you bow your head with me? If you need a Savior tonight, please pray this prayer. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for coming into this world, Lord. Thank you for dying in my place and taking my sin upon your shoulders and paying the price that I was due. Please thank you for your love for me. And today I want to receive your sacrifice. Thank you for coming into this world. I believe you came for me. Please forgive me. Please take my life. Begin to call the shots and help me live for you. Lord, please work a miracle in my life this morning. I want to know you. And I want to walk in your ways. You're my Lord and you're my King. And I ask you to save me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.